2: Welcome to Special Edition, a weekly look at the issues in the news and the personality shaping the stories.
3: Thanks for joining me on Special Edition. I'm Paula Dagnan. This week, we'll be talking about a health condition that affects approximately 3.5 million adults in the United States, schizophrenia. We're also going to be finding out about molecular diagnostic testing to give you the answer. Is it COVID, RSV, the flu or a cold before you leave the doctor's office? Speaking of doctors, Dr. Nancy Fitch, an emergency physician with MedExpress in Wilkes-Barre is here to give you some important tips to keep you and your guests safe this holiday season. We're also going to find out about the upcoming ceremony for Reads Across America and changes that will be coming to the local program. But to start us off, Luzerne Merchants Association is hosting their second annual Hometown Christmas Stocking Stuffer event taking place along Main Street. Alyssa Fusero is here with all the details. Alyssa, the borough of Luzerne doing all kinds of fun things. It's coming up on the 16th. What is a stocking stuffer event? You
4: know, it's so cool, Paula. We came up with this event to spark hometown America and to, you know, after COVID, there were a lot of businesses that had shut down, a lot of businesses that were suffering, um, small businesses, and in order to sort of rescue some of our small businesses here in town. We wanted to create an event that would bring people in and into each of those stores and let people see what they do. So this event is kind of a cool event where each one of these Businesses on our main street in town provides a small stocking stuffer for each of the children. So they get to bring their stocking into town. They stop at our first stop at Sugar Craze, which is a little candy shop bakery. So, Alyssa, you mentioned Sugar Craze now,
3: and that should be the person's first stop when they get to town? Yes. Yeah, so when
4: you pull into town, go to 229 Chapel Street here in Luzerne. And There'll be a little shop there called Sugar Craze, and you go in and you get your stocking stuffer there, and you also pick up a list of the businesses here in town that are participating in the event, and you just follow down that list, and halfway down the list is the main dean.
3: And that's where we'll find da da da, da Santa!
4: Santa! Santa! <laughs> yes. And then they get to go to each one of these businesses on Main Street and get a stocking stuffer. And parents get to browse while they're there.
3: That sounds like a great idea. Now, when you say that they get a stocking stuffer, do you have any idea of what some of the participating businesses have in mind for a, a stocking stuffer? I'm assuming if you're talking like sugar craze, there might be some candy involved.
4: Exactly. There's candy. There might be a small toy. I know that Colonel Mooney's. They do a little ball of popcorn, a a little baggie of of their homemade popcorn. Uh, There's jewelers in town. They may have some sort of jewelry, like a a bracelet or or something like that, that they'll hand out to the kids. There's all kinds of little knickknacks and and stocking stuffers.
3: And I also understand that you're going to have a special visitor so the kids can get to talk to
4: him, too? Yes. So halfway down Main Street, we have a little business called The Main Bean here in Luzerne. And they are going to be providing hot chocolate as soon as you walk in. there'll be an elf there stuffing the hot chocolate with all these marshmallows. You can get your face painted, but more importantly in that back room, they have a really special visitor. It's Santa. Wow. And should we also caution
3: everyone that there could be some, uh, Characters also roaming along Main Street as well that they might want to watch out for? There are some really crazy
4: characters. I saw Mr. Scrooge in town and he is actually I was walking behind him and he was dropping some gold coins I went to pick one up and he he scowled at me but I got it, it was a chocolate covered gold coin, it was so cool and then as I walked a little further I saw the Grinch and he looked a little mean and he wanted to steal the, the stockings that that I had because I was getting prepared, you know. And I was bringing my stocking to town. Yeah, Mr. Grinch is in town as well, so you gotta watch out for these characters because they can be a little mean.
3: Well, they can also be nice though. If Mr. Scrooge is dropping uh, candy coins, I mean, maybe you might want to get behind him. <laughs> I know. <laughs> It's a little scary, (laughs) though. Well, Alyssa, let's get everybody ready for this, because, again, it's something that is not happening anyplace else that I know of, that the Merchants Association is giving away stocking stuffers like they are in Luzerne. So tell us how it happens, where it happens, when it happens. And you have to bring your own stocking, right? And you probably don't want to have a hole in the toe. Make sure you bring your children
4: to Main Street, Luzerne on December 16th. That's Saturday, December 16th from 12 to 3 and stop by one of each one of our businesses for one of those wonderful stocking stuffers and to visit our businesses
3: here in town. And I should also ask, is there a charge for all this fun?
4: There is no charge. It's free and open to the public. So anyone can come into our town and enjoy this event.
3: All right. Anything else, Alyssa, that we need to know before we send everybody with their stockings onto Main Street in Luzerne? Paula, just that we would love to have you. We would
4: love to see you. And we can't wait. And Merry Christmas, everybody.
3: There's always something fun happening in the borough of Luzerne and thanks again to Alyssa Fusero with all the details on the upcoming second annual Hometown Christmas Stocking Stuffer sponsored by Luzerne Merchants Association. Also happening next Saturday is Reads Across America. Kathleen Smith is regent of the Shawnee Fort DAR chapter based in Plymouth. She's here to tell us about that ceremony and how going forward, the program in our area will be changing. Kathleen, you always have so many things that are going on throughout the community to help the community. This year, we would be talking about Reads, which we are. But it's a little bit different. So can you bring us up to speed?
5: Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. So this year, I'm the location coordinator again for Hanover Green Cemetery in Hanover Township. And we are doing a ceremony only. In years past, we did a public wreath laying. This year, we're only going to be doing the eight or nine ceremonial wreaths with no wreath laying, no public wreath laying. So what exactly does that mean for
3: the public then who always like to attend this particular event?
5: We would love to have them come out. They're still welcome to attend. It just means we don't need like all the volunteers and our volunteers to unload the truck and to, to pick them up. And it's just the volunteers have more freedom around the holiday season now. So you're still going
3: on with something, correct? And where Absolutely. and when is that?
5: Absolutely. Hanover Green Cemetery, December 16th. At 12 noon it starts. I would say get there about 11.30-ish for parking. And what exactly is going to happen then? We're going to be doing the ceremony, reading off the names of who's going to be presenting. Uh, Representative Alec Rencavage is the speaker. He's going to be placing a wreath. Uh, Tony Brooks will be back placing a wreath. And the family of Larry Johnson, the Marine who was killed several years ago, will be placing a wreath as well. We always we always have them. We, we love spending time with him every year and helping to honor the Marines and, and his memory. Okay. So people can still come to that. Absolutely. Do
3: you have anything else that's going on? Because I know, you know, this one's a little bit scaled back this year and for many reasons, but do you have other things that are going on too? Because when people hear you, they know that there's always an event coming up or like about ready to happen.
5: True. True. So I do want to say that this will be our last year for Wreaths Across America. We're going to be changing gears a bit. And instead of placing wreaths, which is a wonderful thing to do, it's a nice gesture, but we're going to be putting the effort more toward the veterans who can appreciate it, who are alive and can, can we can speak with them, we can give them with food, we can help them with, with necessities, um, clothing, whatever they may need, or going into the legions or the, the VFWs. So we're going to be doing that from now on. But we wanted to at least do a ceremony only this year to, to finish it off and then and the next year gear up for, for the live veterans. And we do that every every year anyway. But this way, the, the money that people, I would encourage people, who would normally sponsor wreaths, donate to the veterans that are here to appreciate it.
3: And you're saying we, and for a lot of the folks who are listening, maybe they don't realize the group that is behind this. So can you give us some of that information too?
5: Absolutely. Shawnee Fort Chapter of the Daughters of the American Revolution were based in Plymouth. Uh, we started in November of 2009, and we've been going strong ever since. Uh, we have a few things, a few irons in the fire for next year. We're, we're working on a grave marker for Hannah Fell. She was the second wife of Jesse Fell, who, of course, burned the anthracite on a grate. And we're going to be honoring his wife with a marker next year. We're, we're going to be raising money for that as well. But she's the one credited with saving the grate after Jesse Fell died. She's the reason that it's still here. Can you explain that? The grate? Well, the grate. Jesse Fell created a, an anthracite, like a metal grate. And he successfully burned anthracite on it in February of 1808. I believe it was 1808. I may be wrong on the date. Uh, and then when he passed away, his wife made sure it was, it was saved from destruction, being given away, what have you. So she made sure it was kept in the family. And then it's now in the hands of the Louisiana County Historical Society. And where will that be
3: taking place? Do you have that information yet or is it too soon?
5: That will be at the wilkes City Cemetery. She's buried there with her first husband. Jesse Fell is over in Hollenbeck next door with his family. And do you have a time frame for that yet? Not at all. We're we're hoping for late summer, early fall. We have to raise the money. We have to get it, get the stone made, things like that.
3: And you just had a recent occurrence earlier this year, and you did kind of the same thing, right, with the stone? Placed a stone for Henry
5: Brown, who was a, a free black man who was a conductor on the Underground Railroad. He's also in wilkes City Cemetery over by the fence that separates Roxbury City Cemetery and Hollenbeck.
3: Now that we have that looking forward to next year, let's have you once again go over what's going to happen at the cemetery on December 16th. Because again, it might be a little bit confusing for people and they might not be aware of why it's happening. So I'll just turn the microphone over to you and you give them all the information, Kathleen.
5: Thank you, Paula. Shawnee Ford Chapter, the Daughters of the American Revolution, we're doing Wreaths Across America, a ceremony only, at Hanover Green Cemetery, December 16th at 12 noon. I recommend getting there around 1130 for the parking. And there'll be newspaper articles coming out in the next week or so as well. But it's December 16th, is a Saturday at 12 noon.
3: And again, people can attend, but you're not actually laying the wreaths down. It's a ceremony. And you don't need any more wreaths right now, right?
5: Correct. We don't need any more wreaths. We're doing ceremony only. We appreciate all the support and generosity in the past, but this year we've changed it up a bit. And and we're gearing down because I'm no longer going to be location coordinator next year. We're just going to take a a total step back from it.
3: Well, then you invite them to that. And then of course, what would you like to see folks do again with the money that they might be going out and getting or sponsoring these reads?
5: I would encourage them to, to spend it on people that can, and they're here to appreciate it, and get get tears in their eyes when you thank them for their service. Contact the VA. Say, how can I help? Contact the Legion. I mean, there's Christmas parties. There's there's women veterans at the VA that could use diapers and, and baby clothes and food pantries. I mean, anything you can think of to give to the community. I always encourage you to give back to your community, for the people who can appreciate it. It's wonderful what they're doing for the Reese, but I would like to see it go toward people that can appreciate it and benefit from it.
3: And of course, if folks would like to get in touch with your organization so that they can be on the cutting edge of exactly what's going on, because you do do so many of these things throughout the year and a lot of people like to get involved. How do they do that?
5: Absolutely. My phone number is 570-704-9809. And you have a Facebook page? We have a public Facebook page, Shawnee Fort Chapter, N-S-D-A-R. You can just Google Shawnee Fort. It'll come up for a newspaper article. I always try to put my number or email in the newspaper articles as well. Anything else, Kathleen, before we let you go? No, I appreciate all your support. And we'll be back for great things in the future, I'm sure.
3: Thanks once again to Kathleen Smith, Regent of the Shawnee Fort DAR Chapter based in Plymouth. And of course, they always have many things that'll be coming up in the near future that you can find out about on their Facebook page. Coming up next, we're going to get set for the holiday season and make sure we don't forget about things that will keep us safe. That's coming up on Special Edition. Welcome back to Special Edition. Getting ready for the holidays. Of course, it means gatherings and great times. But don't forget common sense and safety. Dr. Nancy Fitch, an emergency physician with MedExpress in Wilkes-Barre is here and she has some important reminders to keep you and your guests safe this holiday season. Dr. Fitch, always a pleasure to have you here. And yeah, I know we still have a little bit of time to go before we actually get into the big ho-ho-ho part of everything, but people are still planning ahead. So let's start with, the biggest thing that everybody talks about is food. Where do we go in order to keep everything that we need to do for us and our guests safe? You pick wherever you want to start.
6: I think if you have any questions about food, I had um, some really good information from the CDC actually on partying and you know putting out your spread. So I think that's probably the best place to start is that you really don't want your guests to get sick on your holiday feast. So make sure that you're serving food at the proper temperature. Make sure that you're keeping it at the proper temperature. Hot foods need to stay hot. Cold foods need to stay cold. And the typical rule of thumb, especially with hot foods, if they've been out for two hours, they get pitched. Making sure that everything in your buffet and the the appetizers and everything that you're serving is kept at the appropriate temperature is really, really important. And the CDC has a ton of information on that. And that was actually a very good resource for one of the talks we've had in the past um, for a lot of good information on that.
3: Well, we start thinking about the food with every holiday. And of course, we talked about before when we talked about summer and doing things outside. So there are so many things that people just kind of throw by the wayside. So if there was one Dr. Fitch, I want to make sure that everybody knows this so that they don't come and see me at MedExpress in Wilkes-Barre with this particular problem. When it comes to food, what would it be?
6: The turkey. People have problems with that turkey. Either they're cutting themselves on the turkey or they're burning themselves when they're doing that fry for that turkey. So, you know, that is probably one of the biggest things that sends people to the emergency room as well as to MedExpress. So, you know, make sure that you know how to carve a turkey. Please do not use the electric carving knife on a turkey, especially as you get close to those bones. You can sliver those bones. They can get lodged in people's esophagus um that is not a pleasant trip to the emergency room that is a you know a a procedure under sedation to remove it and can cause all kinds of problems so don't use that knife on the turkey make sure you don't cut yourself take your time i know everybody's in a rush and everybody wants to eat that turkey but make sure that you take your time so you don't end up with a cut and you know if you do get cut make sure you hold pressure and then get yourself somewhere to have that cut evaluated. Don't wait. Don't think I'll take care of it tomorrow and slap a bunch of electrical tape on it and sit with it overnight. We can't stitch something when you get past that 8 to 12 hour mark. So don't think that, oh, I'll go in tomorrow and 24 hours later think that we can stitch it. We can't. So take care of that. Make sure your cookie your turkey is done to the proper temperature. Turkey is done at 165 degrees You can pull it out as early as 155 because meat will rise another 10 degrees as it's resting. we let our turkey rest 30 minutes this year and wow, was it good. So, you know, the temperature did rise when we pulled it out, but we did wait and pulled it out at 165.
3: A lot of people too are using these fryers in order to make their turkeys and those must be extremely hot. So what about burns?
6: Burns can be awful, and especially with grease burns. So, you know, if you've never fried a turkey, please make sure you've done your research. It is dangerous. They can cause house fires, yard fires, garden fires, and human fires. So make sure that that turkey is bone dry and not one ice crystal in there before you dunk it into the oil. It needs to be lowered into the oil very, very slowly. I personally, I don't have the strength, and I know usually it's better done with two people with the turkey suspended on a bar to drop it down slowly into the oil so it doesn't bubble over and cause that fire. So if you should get a burn, you want to run it under cold water, put a cool compress on it, and be evaluated for that burn, especially if it's severe. Obviously, if you if you actually ignite into flames, don't forget the stop, drop, and roll. But if you're going to be doing a turkey, make sure that you have, you know, the gone through the motions and make sure you know what you need to do for any kind of mishap that might occur with that turkey fire. Have a fire extinguisher next to where you're doing it. Do it outside. Don't do it in your home and just be safe with it.
3: We'll move away from the food just a little bit, but if you think of something, by all means, we can go back. We're okay. also talking about all the people who are still, I know there's a lot of them that are finished, but they're still doing those decorating things. So yeah. that just opens up a whole other issue when it comes to the holidays, because bigger, higher, better.
6: Oh, yeah, <laughs> absolutely. And the more, the better. So big thing is false. You know, we're pulling out ladders, we're putting things in awkward positions, and we're having a lot of falls, trips over things um, in little small little zaps from broken light bulbs and jewelry hanging in them and all kinds of stuff. So, you know, make sure that you're doing any kind of hanging with pairs, someone to steady a ladder. Um, if you can avoid putting things up high, I personally can can't do it anymore i'm getting too old for that but um you know make sure you use caution and make sure that you're not falling make sure you're being careful with pulling totes out that are heavy because you really loaded them down to all get them in that one tote you know make sure that you're just being cautious and you use the right ladder for the right location and you have someone to hold it for you so you're not doing things by yourself
3: and when it comes to electricity everything has to light up because it either has to light or move a lot of safety (laughs) precautions there
6: Yes. Make sure that the cords are in good shape. Make sure that they're protected. Make sure that your outlets work. And obviously, it just if it if it's not lighting up, get rid of it. It's time. It's time. You know, You're get the
3: new light. Get get, get, a, the new light. get a new one. Exactly. <laughs> now. Are there any other things that you're particular, again, passionate about, especially around holiday time where people just throw caution to the wind and say, it's not going to make any difference because it's the holidays. And I know nothing bad is going to happen to me around the holidays.
6: Oh, yes. So I think the biggest thing is just to try and maintain your good health in the first place. If you haven't gotten your flu shot, now is the perfect time to get it. Flu is going to start to go up. COVID is on the rise. Um, So make sure you've gotten your flu shot. Um, It takes two weeks to obtain any immunity from any vaccine that you get. So right now is the perfect time. You know, if you didn't get one for Thanksgiving holiday, at least get one for the upcoming uh, Christmas season. Maintain just good health. You know, get your rest. Keep your diet under control so you've got good nutrition. Get your rest. Um, you know, there's nothing worse than getting sick over the holidays because everything is so crazy at this time of year that you, you just burn the candle at both ends. And now you're exhausted. And next thing you know, you're sick. And then you miss it all anyway. So good hand hygiene, you know, social distancing when people are sick. And, you know, it's just good common sense. Good common sense when it comes to health and vaccines. If you're going to get the new booster, now's the time for COVID and get your flu shot.
3: And I certainly hope that the folks who are listening are going to stop by and say a very Merry Christmas to you, but not come <laughs> in pieces or ouch or any of that stuff. <laughs>
6: that, that would be nice. But yes, I prefer I'm sure they don't want to see me, which is fine. I'll, I'll not take offense to that.
3: Oh, I know one. I know another one. A oh. lot of people are traveling. What about traveling when it comes to the holiday time?
6: So traveling, again, you want to use good common sense, your luggage, a lot of back pulls at this time of year, people hoisting their heavy, heavy carry-on because they don't want to pay for the checked bag up into the overhead bins. And, you know, use, make sure it's easier with the luggage with wheels to wheel that heavy bag through the airport. And, you know, take your time putting it up overhead um you know if you're traveling with someone the you know buddy system to help get the luggage up so nobody gets hurt um you know just take your time with all of that and again good common sense you know the airport is um horrible cesspool of germs so i mean i know i started masking for any major trips um when when at all possible just because it just i know there's such a myriad of germs flying through so Consider masking if you're not opposed and good hand hygiene, lots of hand sanitizer, washing your hands. People are not as cognizant of COVID anymore. People are not testing. They're not worrying about it. And there's going to be somebody on that plane, if not more than one with COVID or with the flu or any other virus. I mean, who wants to get sick over the holidays? But again, good common sense for just good hygiene and all the things that we did learn through COVID about trying to prevent spread of viruses.
3: Well, I must say, the more we talk, the more I think about things, but I can't keep you here with me all day because you've got things to do. So I'm going to give you the last word, Dr. Fitch.
6: So if you need us, you know where we're at. And MedExpress does have um, online scheduling now for appointments. Um, You can go to our website at MedExpress.com. We're always here to help. And we just want everybody to stay healthy, safe for the holidays.
3: Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. It's always a pleasure to catch up with Dr. Nancy Fitch, emergency physician with MedExpress in Wilkes-Barre. She has all those important reminders to keep us safe and healthy. And speaking of healthy, is it COVID, RSV, the flu, or a cold. Don't go away, because coming up next on Special Edition, we're going to talk about molecular diagnostic testing. You can get the answer before you leave the doctor's office. And we're going to hear about some new innovations in the treatment of schizophrenia. That's all next on Special
0: Edition. His karate lessons might not turn him into a black belt. Aya. And even after band camp, he might not be the greatest musician.
3: Coming up on Special Edition, we're going to be finding out about new treatments for schizophrenia. The chronic, progressive, and severely debilitating mental health condition affects some 3.5 million Americans across the United States. But starting us off, we're going to find out about molecular diagnostic testing. Dr. David Persing, Chief Medical and Technology Officer with Cepheid, is here to tell us that you could find out what you have before you leave the doctor's office. Dr. Persing, so many people sneeze and cough and so many people say, I have this, I have that. How do you know what you have when you have any kind of symptoms like that?
8: Well, it's that time of year, isn't it? Um, It's um, uh, the time of year when these symptoms are a lot more common. And um, it's the respiratory season. And during the respiratory season, multiple different viruses um, circulate. Um, And so it's important to be able to make the distinction between different types of viruses uh, to know what to do. for uh, self-quarantine, for instance, or for uh, getting even antiviral therapies uh, to specifically treat the viral infection, and so um, the ways that we typically um, uh, go about diagnosing these infections, because their symptoms are so much overlapping, is we have to use tests. We've heard about antigen tests uh, that can be used to diagnose COVID. Those became very popular during the past several years. There are also antigen tests for. Um, other viruses that might be circulating as well. But the um, the antigen tests often are not as sensitive as more um, advanced molecular diagnostic technologies using um, DNA or RNA detection, which is able to detect and discriminate between the different types of viruses that are uh, floating around during the season.
3: How did all that come about with DNA and molecular testing? It, it just sounds so much more than just a common cold thing that you'd be looking for.
8: Yes, each each one of the viruses has either DNA or RNA in its genome, and um, the what we actually what we do for detection purposes is focus in on a segment or segments of those viruses and amplify those segments to detect the different DNA or RNA segments that are unique to that particular virus. And we use a technique called PCR, polymerase chain reaction, to um, detect the different viruses. And we can often um, actually detect multiple different viruses at one time from a single swab. And so that makes it possible to actually determine which of the viruses is present, not just whether one virus is present, but whether any of the above, any number of different viruses are present.
3: Where did all this come about? Who was behind all this?
8: Um, the uh uh inventor of the PCR technique was Dr. Kerry Mullis, uh in the mid nineteen eighties. Um and this technique uh slowly made its way into laboratories um throughout the uh uh the country and throughout the world and uh and then more recently in the past uh, decade or so uh, we've seen great advancements in PCR detection technology, where it doesn't have to be sent to a laboratory uh, days away. It can actually be um, performed right next to the patient. So now we have a technique which reference labs used to be able to uh, to operate, and were the only ones that could do it. Now we can perform that same technique next to patients.
3: And this has been in the work since the
8: 1980s. Yes. It's been around for a long time, but it's taken a long time to translate that technology into something that's uh, more real time in terms of its ability to generate results uh, that are actionable.
3: So is something like this available when you go to your primary care doc and say, I'm sneezing, I'm coughing, I don't know what I have? Can they do that in their office?
8: Yes, they can. There are thousands and thousands of systems out there now and Doctors' offices and um, in clinics and in hospitals that uh, can be used to generate these results in in a half an hour um, in around a half an hour, and so those 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 results are available right while that while the patient is waiting in many cases, and um, can be used for treatment or management purposes.
3: And as far as the testing is concerned, is there a time time frame where someone would have to say? I sneezed yesterday, here I am today, or is there something that can happen days later? How does that work?
8: Yeah, that's a a really important point because um, uh, early on in the course of infection with respiratory viruses, there may be uh, very small amounts of virus present. And so um, often the antigen tests take days to become positive. We've heard about this with the Omicron um, outbreak with COVID, that patients may become symptomatic, and then it takes days for them to register a positive on an antigen test. Um, this was uh, the subject of an article was published recently showing that the um, antigen tests don't do as well for detecting Omicron as they did for Delta uh, a few years ago. But the nucleic acid tests for DNA and RNA detection actually can detect it very soon after symptom onset. So you don't have to wait for days to become positive for a particular virus.
3: Wow. And then when when the doctor gets the results, you can have them and be able to know exactly what course that this, whatever it is that you may have, is is also going to take?
8: Yes, exactly. That's um, the, the the typical way of handling the results is to Advise the patient to um, to stay at home, take it easy, usual precautions to prevent transmission to other family members, um, and also um, sometimes to prescribe antiviral medications which actually uh, treat the viral infection to keep it under control
3: and there are so many different things there you know we're familiar with the flu we're familiar with the cold now we're hearing more about rsv and and of course covid so all of that goes under this one umbrella for testing?
8: Yes, in fact, the symptoms of RSV, respiratory syncytial virus, COVID, and influenza A and B are all very much overlapping. Uh, They produce uh, fevers, chills, um, malaise, uh, feeling lousy, all can produce so-called flu-like symptoms. And so it's very difficult to distinguish them based on symptoms. Uh, But it's important to distinguish them if you're going to try to treat uh, the viral infection with an antiviral because you can't use a COVID antiviral to treat the flu and vice versa. So you need to know which one it is uh, to be able to make that decision about treatment.
3: So let's say we have listeners who are hearing you talk about this today and they're saying, as a matter of fact, I have a doctor's appointment coming up tomorrow and I'm going to ask my doctor... What, in order to get what you're talking about?
8: Yeah, I think I think uh, especially now with the number of viruses in circulation that we expect during the upcoming respiratory season, it's not just COVID. It's a lot more than COVID. It's um, multiple viruses, flu A, flu B, RSV. And so we really do need to be able to distinguish between them. And um, so just settling for a COVID test with symptoms Uh, like that uh, is not sufficient. We have to actually request a test that can detect multiple things and multiple viruses. And also, ideally, um, if if a PCR technology is available to use that, especially early in the course of infection when the antigen tests are less likely to be useful.
3: So, would it be protocol for the patient to ask the doctor?
8: Yes, in fact, they they often can if that technology is available and there's a choice between an antigen test and a molecular diagnostic test. Um, It's uh, the most sensitive technology to be used is the molecular diagnostic technology.
3: And the other thing I also want to make clear is how the test is actually given.
8: Yes, typically uh, uh, one of the things about these tests that you can detect all the virus from a single nasal swab you don't have to collect multiple nasal swabs for multiple tests. You can detect all of them in one swab. And uh, then the swab is put into a test cartridge. And the cartridge is run in the machine that generates the individual results.
3: Dr. Persing, what an, what an eye-opener this has been for, <laughs> for the upcoming season. Is there anything else you'd like our listeners to know? And of course, is there anywhere that they can go and get more information?
8: Yes, um, I would recommend that people look at the uh, CDC website regarding uh, respiratory infections and um, they can get up up to date on what's going around, what viruses are circulating in what parts of the country.
3: Dr. Persing, thank you so much. What an enlightening interview this has been. And I think, uh, well, I know I'm more prepared now when I go to my doctor's visit.
8: You're very, you're very welcome.
3: Once again, that's Dr. David Persing, Chief Medical and Technology Officer with Cepheid, and the details on molecular diagnostic testing. Now on Special Edition, we're going to talk with Dr. Christoph Korell. He is a professor of psychiatry at the Zucker School of Medicine. And he's going to tell us about new treatments and new information on schizophrenia, the chronic, progressive, and severely debilitating mental health condition that affects some 3.5 million adults here in the United States. Dr. Carell, nice of you to join us. And we're talking about something that so many people hear the term schizophrenia. Can you explain exactly what it is?
2: Schizophrenia is a severe brain disorder that we've identified for many hundreds of years. But there's still a misconception of people thinking it might be a split personality, people having different variations of themselves. But it's not. The split is actually within the mind between different operations of the mind. And what we take for granted is really disrupted. It's the way we think, feel, behave, perceive ourselves and the world, And that can also then lead to misperceptions of the world that people might be out to get one or that there are cameras spying on someone, that you can't string your thoughts together properly. About 2.8 million people, adults, live with schizophrenia in the United States. And schizophrenia is a severe disorder that is often associated with poor functioning and people not being able to achieve their goals. And I'm happy to partner with Teva today to educate about schizophrenia and some of the newer treatments that have recently been approved.
3: Before we even get to that, how would someone know? what? How would you be able to tell, what would be the diagnosis for schizophrenia?
2: How would one know? I mean, there is a so-called prodrome, the beginning phase, where people might be withdrawn socially, um, might be somewhat anxious or depressed, not sleep well. And then they develop called positive symptoms. Those are not good symptoms. They are symptoms that we shouldn't have, but these patients have them. And that is hearing voices or seeing things that are not there, um, having problems with bringing their thoughts together, and having also delusional thinking. So if you see someone who might be talking to themselves or become paranoid, they might be at risk of having schizophrenia and should see a healthcare professional to actually get this diagnosed. Now, could there be also substance abuse that does that? Um, Yes, but also substance abuse can trigger schizophrenia, for example, and it can be comorbid.
3: Well, that was exactly going to be my next question because now we're hearing so many different cases around the world of just exactly what you described. And I guess then how long could a person go without being treated for something like this? Because Dr. Carell, we know that people are very good about hiding things that they don't want anyone to know about them.
2: Absolutely. You're so right about this. We did a large study in 21 states and 39 sites in the United States, and it was published in 2020, and actually the median duration of untreated psychosis in the United States in first episode patients was 18 months, a year and a half of being psychotic, and not getting help. And the mean duration, if you basically just have an average, it was three years because there are people who are even longer fully psychotic. So it's very important that we help patients to seek help and uh, reduce the stigma around schizophrenia, which often deters people from going to get help because they think, oh, people might think I'm crazy. Well, maybe you are, but you can be helped.
3: Along those same lines then, is there that much of a correlation where something like this would automatically lead to a violent outcome?
2: Well, that's another important uh, topic here in terms of misconceptions. I mean, yes, people with schizophrenia can feel very scared that someone is out to get them and out of trying to protect themselves might become sometimes aggressive. But it's not the rule and we shouldn't confuse that with schizophrenia per se. Many patients with schizophrenia have actually the opposite of aggression. They're not motivated to do anything and sit around and quietly have their psychotic symptoms. But whatever they have, it's important that they get to the appropriate treatment being evaluated, assess whether it's substance use in addition or it's only due to substance abuse or it's schizophrenia which is treatable with antipsychotic medications that can come either as daily oral medication or even, and we might talk about this, long-acting treatments that help people stay the course and have more continuous treatment outcome and better results.
3: Well, let's talk about the treatment aspects then.
2: The most commonly used treatment is oral daily antipsychotic use, and that has been shown to be effective. However, People with schizophrenia are up against the wall in terms of the risk of relapse. Relapse is the main enemy on the road to recovery on the way of people reaching functionality, being social again, maybe having work and independent life. And we know that daily medication is associated with forgetting it, not taking it. And unbeknownst to loved ones, caregivers, or the healthcare professional, people having treatment gaps. And that's the most preventable reason of relapses. So here, long-acting injectable treatments that can be given instead of 365 times a year, uh, 12 times, or even six times, can be very helpful. And meta-analyses and relapse prevention studies have shown that there is a big advantage with these long-acting treatments. And a newer one that has recently been approved in April is called UZETI, and that is a treatment that can come in either once a month or every two-month treatment. It's given subcutaneously underneath the skin, and it also can help patients to not have another relapse or delay the relapse. It's approved for adults with schizophrenia for maintenance treatment. It's not approved for people with dementia-related psychosis. That is a totally different uh, ball game. And obviously, every treatment can help one person or another, can also have side effects. And even UZETI can also have side effects, for example, like weight gain or increase in appetite or sedation or anxiety. But that can often be managed when talking to the healthcare professional that can find out whether this is the right option or not. The important part of this treatment is that it's given with one single injection. There doesn't have to be a second one in the same month. It's not like a loading dose. So it's quite convenient for patients. And they can also select between every month or every two-month treatment, which would even be just six touch points in terms of receiving the treatment to help people stay
3: stable. Are there other things that people who are diagnosed can do in order to manage the condition?
2: Very important question. Medication is the backbone, but around that, we need also other treatments. Those include psychoeducation, so get educated about your illness, but ideally with respectable and reputable sources because when you go online, you can get pretty difficult information. So one source of information I often recommend is uzeddy.com, dot com. that gives you information about the illness but also potential treatments. The next one after psycho- psychoeducation is talk therapy, helping people navigate their illness, maybe even deal with internal and external stimuli, and maybe being scared by certain things. There can also be social skills groups that can help people function better because if there are no skills and pills. Medications can help, including long-acting injections to help people be stable and be then ready for rehabilitation. And that together can bring about also better functional
3: outcomes. UZETI is now available?
2: UZETI is now available as a one-monthly or every two-monthly injection. And again, subcutaneous, gets blood levels within six to 24 hours. So it's right there, doesn't have a delay, although obviously the full effect can take somewhat longer. And with that, it can be an option for certain patients that should just get educated about it. Talk to the healthcare professional about it because often healthcare professionals assume, oh, let's just do the pill. Patients accept that better and don't offer it, although this is an option that should be taken seriously and considered in the treatment
3: planning. Are children also diagnosed with schizophrenia?
2: The onset of schizophrenia often happens in adolescence and early adulthood. Before puberty, it's less than 2% of people with schizophrenia that have the illness. At age 18, it's about 8%, so one out of 13 people. But then by age 25, half of everyone with schizophrenia has already been diagnosed. The treatment with the ingredient of UZD is approved in children and adolescents with schizophrenia or in adolescents with schizophrenia. That is risperidone, is the ingredient, but UZEDI itself is not approved for the use below age 18 as approved for adults with schizophrenia, and again, not for psychosis in the context of dementia.
3: Dr. Carell, anything that we've left out that you would like our audience to know about this, a topic that we really don't get to hear about very often?
2: Well, first, I want to thank you to bring that uh, to the audience. Schizophrenia is a treatable condition, that's point number one. Point number two, there is a lot of non adherence that happens, either overt or covert, not known to us. So, here, long acting injectable treatments have shown to delay the onset of another disease episode, which can alter the outcome. So, get help and discuss the potential treatment also with a long acting treatment. And a newer option now is ready, that can be something that potentially is helpful to you or loved ones, and you should consider that and discuss it with your healthcare professional. And if you want more information, go to uzeddy.com, dot to get further information in addition to talking to your healthcare professional.
3: Once again, thanks to Dr. Christoph Corral. I'm Paul Dagnan. Thanks for joining me on Special Edition.
2: Thanks for listening to
0: Special Edition, a weekly look at the issues in the news and the personalities shaping the stories.